Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. It's sunny, right? It might hail later on, it might snow later on, but at least it's sunny right now. Only in Scotland, right? Awesome. Cool. Well, I'm going to be continuing a Big Words series, and uh, we're going to be looking, we have been looking over the course of these series at words within the Bible, words that maybe have fallen out of use, uh, words that maybe we only understand certain aspects of them, uh, and that by understanding the, the other dimensions, the greater depth to these words, uh, enhance our understanding of God himself. Uh, and there are all sorts of words within the Bible that uh, that just within us as Christians, within us people, it just creates sort of a sense of inspiration and appeal. There, there are these words that, uh, that as Christians we like to portray sort of attributes like like strength. Strength is an attribute that, uh, that, that, that we like that one. We like that one. We like courage. Courage is one that I'm happy to stand on courage. I'm a Christian and I am courageous. I am bold. Everyone likes to feel bold and everyone likes to uh, be one of triumph. I am a triumphant one. You know, these are, these are words that within the Bible that they talk about that you can adorn the breastplate of righteousness. You know, there's, there's something very inspirational, something very appealing about these words. Well, the word I want to speak about today is probably a word that uh, nobody here has ever thought they would love to epitomize. And that word I want to speak on is meekness. Meekness. I am speaking on meekness this morning. Yes, uh, as you think about the... the uh, the, uh, what is it? the armor of armor of God you put on, you shod your feet with the gospel and tie your shoelaces of meekness. <laughs> it is not a word that kind of grabs us, is it? It's not a word that when I say, like, oh, really, we're talking about meekness this morning? No, I, this is going to be an awesome message. But I understand the purpose I want to start of it because we have this idea of what it means. It, it actually has fallen completely out of modern usage. If you look at actually modern uh, translations of the Bible, they've taken the word meekness and actually replaced it for gentleness. It's not a word that gets used anymore. It's actually one of the fruits of the Spirit. Me and Laura had a 20-minute argument about it in the car, and uh, <laughs> it's like, no way is meekness one of the fruits. Yes, it is, honestly. And I was right, for once. <laughs> but it has, it has quite uh, modern uh, negative connotations. Uh, I think that when you say meekness, you associate it with sort of weakness and passivity. They're the words that kind of come to mind. But the reality is meekness is actually an iceberg of a word. It is an iceberg of a word because at first glance it appears very a very modest attribute. It seems very modest and it is easily overlooked. But actually beneath the surface it, it carries just huge weight and power. And that is what we are going to explore this morning. So I am going to read, and this is sort of a text that I'll probably be kind of coming back to and forward, so try and keep as much of this in your head as possible. Uh, it's 45 verses long. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> uh, it's James 1, verse 17 to 24. And I'm going to be reading mainly from the New King James Version, but I like to throw a little curveball in there now and again. So uh, here we go. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down Sorry, I thought someone said my name there. Is that God? <laughs> I'm supposed to speak of meekness, right? <laughs> every good gift and every perfect gift is from above 
and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow or turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. About 12 years ago, uh, when I was in my early 20s, uh, <laughs> all that time ago, uh, we were, I was part of, a, I, I sort of just got saved, and I was, uh, I sort of come back to the, the church that I'd grown up in, in Dundee, and, and during the, uh, the new year, at new year, we would kind of, there was nothing really sort of officially, formally arranged, but we had a, we had a big building, and, and the young adults just wanted to hang out, most of us either had small flats or still lived at home, so it just were like, well, we'll just use the church. We'll just have something. And, and over the years, it kind of grew in sort of, uh, you know, in what we did. At first, we just hung out. And then, then sort of after a while, we started putting on these little sort of sketches and productions. And we would invite the rest of the church to come along. And it was all kind of quite informal, but, uh, but it was a good laugh. And I remember this year, this was the year I kind of had come back. And I'd been asked to sort of take part in one of the skits that we were doing. And uh, it was just around about the same time that... Uh, guess it would be pop stars but essentially it's sort of that, that x factor type show had just come and ever it was you know all that anybody was sort of talking about so we were going to take a rip off of that and, and make a bit of a joke of it and i was asked to portray the character of the sort of the the hair metal rock star uh now i can't sing but that's okay because neither can hair metal rock stars uh <laughs> but i was gonna mime but i was i was gonna wear uh denim hot pants uh, i was gonna wear a vest and i had this big sort of blonde flowing wig uh, and I was going to sort of basically uh, run, run around the place moshing my head back and forth and, and, and that was going to be what I did but I was actually, uh, in part of the skit I was going to win the contest for, for, for one reason or another so I was going to do an encore and I thought, that just to make it a little bit funnier and I didn't tell anyone this but I thought to myself, wouldn't it be funny if I shaved my head so right around about there so it looked like I was sort of uh, I was wearing a wig and, and actually underneath I was some balding rock star. And uh, I just thought that'd be really funny. Nobody asked me to do it. It just seemed like a good idea to me. So just before uh, I got in the car uh, to go, I got my uh, set of clippers and I just shaved my hair just around there and just left sort of, you know, longer bits around the side. <laughs> and I put my hat on and I was just praying just that nobody come along and whip my hat off because you know, that's what you know, young guys in the 20s do. Huh? Rip your hat off. Oh, no. Uh, and so I got in the car. I got in the car with my two brothers and uh, a friend of ours, Timon, who uh, is now actually related to us. And, uh, but we, we got in the car and it was, it was a really bizarre thing because we got in the car and we started to drive and it just started to snow and it hadn't snowed at all up to then. And I'd actually very recently sort of passed my test and I'd never driven in snow before and where we lived, it was only about sort of three or four miles away from the church, but we had to go down some quite big hills and I did not know how to drive in snow. I felt really uncomfortable driving in snow. And, and, and I would do that thing that you will naturally do when they're 
driving in snow for the first time, I put the brake on too hard or I bribed the brake. I just found myself skidding and I, would, I wasn't going very fast, but I was just hitting the pavement, I was hitting the other pavement. And, uh, you, know, you know, as you would expect, my supportive younger brothers were just giving me absolute just pelters the entire time. Like, you don't know how to drive, you're rubbish. I don't even have a license, I could do better than you and, and all that kind of stuff. And it was, it was not really helping. Uh, <laughs> and we got to this really uh, big hill and I'm, my heart's really beating because I'm thinking I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to total the car here really going to wreck it. Uh, and we went down this hill, really steep. And when it's going down a steep hill, you know, you can't control the car because the momentum of it, the weight of the car is carrying it. So I'm just putting the brake on even more because surely that will stop the car. But it just meant I had great, uh, I lost even more control of the car. I'm just sort of skidding into curbs. And, and I got halfway down the hill and I just said, that's it. I'm not, I'm not driving any further. I'm going to crash the car if I do this. Uh, and my brother's like, oh, you're, you're a wimp, you're a wuss, you know. I'm like, no, I'm calling mom and dad. They can drive us the rest of the way. I don't care. And they were, everyone was giving me a really hard time. I just felt so stressed, so frustrated. My heart was pumping. I felt hot. I grabbed my phone. I ripped my hat off to, to phone. And it just in that moment, in that tense atmosphere, just everybody burst out laughing. And for a second, I couldn't work out. What are you all laughing at? It's like, what have you done to your hair? And it was just in the moment that I was completely transported from realizing what I actually looked like. And uh, uh, what... what <laughs> it was ridiculous. We roared with laughter, all of us. It just completely changed the moment. But, uh, but the thing was, I'd actually completely forgotten what I looked like. I pulled the hat off, and it, and, and it never even occurred to me that I had altered my appearance. I, I acted as if nothing was any different. Uh, because my image of myself hadn't been cemented. I, 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 it was just a fleeting glance. I'd just done it very quickly. It wasn't something I'd given even very much thought to. It was certainly something that I was not thinking about while trying not to crash my car. It was, it was, it was something that, that had just completely fleeted from my mind altogether. And you see, the only way to avoid forgetting is rather than breeze through a word, or breeze through God's word, is to have it planted deep within your core. It's the only way. Because otherwise, in the moment of stress, in the moment of uh, pressure, it, it, it is fleeting. You forget what you look like, you reflect, uh, you forget what your reflection is. Uh, and in planting the word of God, as that, that scripture we just read said, it's the only thing that can save your soul. Implanting the word of God within you is the only thing that will save your soul. It is the key to salvation. But it says that we have to do it by responding out of meekness. It says meekness is the quality, it, it attaches meekness as the quality that allows us to implant his word within us. And that that is the key to salvation. So my question for you this morning, the question that we're going to work through is, how does being meek have anything to do with and how does it hold the key to our salvation? Well, when I say meekness, I, I, as I said earlier, I think we all have sort of ideas of what it means, but I think most of it would interpret it as being mild and mild humility, uh, sort of maybe being slightly unassertive and unambitious. It's certainly not a quality or an attribute that you would associate with a great leader. It's not one that, you, it's not one that comes to mind. But in actual fact, uh, you know, ancient uh, great kings from ancient times, the Babylonian kings, the Assyrian kings, uh, who, who had massive empires, they would, they would describe themselves quite willingly, quite happily, as being meek. And they would use it within the same context as being mighty kings. 
quite interesting that it's like they would use that they would see that as a very positive quality and yet these were dominating kingdoms that that, that ruled huge swaths of the world and, and yet yet meekness was an attribute that they 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 clung to that they saw as being very uh, very proper and very very important uh, and very kingly and yet today that we would not associate that at all uh, likewise one of Israel's greatest leaders Moses is is strongly and forever linked with meekness and I'm going to read to you from uh, Numbers 12 verse 1 to 9 we're going to hear a little bit about uh, the meekness of Moses and it says then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman that he had married for he had married an Ethiopian woman so they said has the Lord indeed broken uh, spoken only through Moses he has not spoken through us also. And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out you three to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Moses, uh, Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward. Then he said, now hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And... This is, I find this quite an interesting uh, passage of scripture because at first glances it seems almost the wrong way around. You know, God rose up in anger uh, when Moses' uh, worthiness to lead was questioned. Uh, his two deputies were questioning his worthiness and, and God rose up in anger. But the interesting thing is, the thing is that what they were, what they were questioning was, uh, was a law, was a rule that Moses himself had actually brought to the, the, the nation of Israel. He was the very one in Deuteronomy 7 who'd come and said, do not take foreign wives. And I was actually talking, my, my, when I was preparing this message, I'd left that passage of scripture open and my kids came over and they read it. Uh, well, Nathan read it and Lily listened. And, they, uh, and I came back and they, and they asked me about it and they said, but wait a minute, Moses did something wrong, didn't he? Why, why was it the other two that got into trouble? You know, Moses was the one, and I kind of had explained it a little bit. He says, because Moses had done exactly what he'd been told not to do, what he had told everybody else not to do, and yet it was the two people who recognized that and questioned that were the two that God was angry with, not the one who actually did the thing in the wrong place. So it was an interesting one to try and explain to a four-year-old, what, a five-year-old and a six-year-old. But the reality is this, is that God, God was not angry because they believed that Moses had acted wrongly. He wasn't, that was not the, the issue that God had, uh, had raised. He was angry that they thought Moses' own righteousness had anything to do with why God had chosen him to lead the Israelites uh, through him. Uh, as if sort of that one indiscretion was, was, was Moses' only imperfection. And apart from that, he was totally blameless. And God needed an absolutely blameless person in order to lead his people. He was furious at the suggestion that, that he had chosen Moses because of anything other than his understanding of who God was. See, God could speak to Moses and allowed him closer than anyone else, 
more than anyone else because he understood who God was and who he was to God. He had uh, an understanding and appreciation of his relationship with God. His meekness was the degree by which he orientated himself towards God so that God could use him and, and, and his grace could flow through him. See, Moses only got into trouble with God. He only got into trouble with God when he started to lead the children of Israel with the parameters of this covenant. And it goes on in, in, in Numbers 20, verse 7 to 12. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, this is some time later, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water from them, uh, for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before uh, before the, uh, from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear me, hear now you rebels. Must we bring water out for you from this rock? And Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. The water came out abundantly from the congregation and their animals drank. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given you. This was just before uh, God was going to take the, the, the Israelites into, uh, into the promised land. And God wanted to use this, wanted to create an occasion where he could confirm within the hearts of, uh, of the Israelites that, that his power was sufficient, that his power was all that they were going to need. That even though this seemed an insurmountable ob- uh, obstacle, that, that he was uh, his power was sufficient to take them through it. But Moses usurped this occasion, and he actually asserted himself in there as being the leadership, the the, the leadership team for the the nation was actually the ones who were going to need to resolve this problem with no water. Uh, And and more so, when he went out to the rock, instead of just speaking to the rock, as he'd been asked to do, he hit the rock twice. And what he'd done was, he had he had made it about what his actions were. He had made it about what Moses had to do to provide for the children of Israel. And it wasn't about what God was going to do. God wanted to do something totally passive. He wanted to just speak to that rock and let it flow out. And then there is absolutely no question about where that miracle has come from. But Moses, just he had take, come, come to a place where he was, he was seizing control for himself. And he whacked that rock twice. And he, and he hit it. And, 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 and he brought it forth. And lost that sort of meekness, that, that meekness on the inside where he, he was trusting in God and, 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 and being, being true to that relationship, that covenant relationship that he had with God. It was, and, and, and because of that, God said, look, I can't have you leading my, my, my children of Israel. I can't have you leading my chosen nation into the, the promised land. And it's not because God was annoyed that Moses had stolen his thunder. That that wasn't the reason. The reason was, this was a small challenge. This was, just speak to a rock. Don't hit the rock. He couldn't even do that. He'd come to a place where he just had to take control. And they were about to go into, they were about to embark on a new adventure. And it required a leader who would trust God in every single circumstance. Not one who'd grown and, and developed the habit for taking over when he thought the situation required. 
And that's what Moses, he'd come to a place where now the situation, it, it had riled him. He'd got pressure. He, he felt tense. And, 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 and in that, he'd sort of, I'm going to have to act here. I'm going to have to take over here. And that was not what God was asking for his leader. I, uh, I'm, a very, I'm a very proud runner. And what I mean by that is, I like it when people ask me how I get to work. And they usually ask me that when I'm walking into the office in my running stuff. So they kind of know how I get to work. But, and, I, and I like to answer them with, like, oh, yeah, because they, they always ask, how, uh, how far is it you run? And I go, oh, just three miles there and back. <laughs> I like it to be, yeah, just, just so you know, it's, it's three miles both ways. That's how, that's how far I run every day. Just, you know, just, it's just normal for me. It might not be normal for you. And uh, <laughs> the reality is this, is that I'm not very proud of, I wouldn't be very proud of any of you could actually see me running. Uh, because I wear like this, uh, this horrible spandex outfit that accentuates my dad bod. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, this is totally true. Uh, the other day I was, uh, I was running and this, uh, this little kid came up to me, running through the park. And he comes up to me and he says, uh, excuse me, excuse me, I might make it sound London. Like I say, excuse me, squire, spare a penny for a pauper. <laughs> Like I run through like some Victorian borough. No, he came up to me. He said, uh, "Excuse me, Mister. Uh, excuse me, Mister. Uh, could you take? Would you take part in a social experiment? Uh, could you please do the jiggle wiggle?" He said that to me on Friday. Could I do the jiggle wiggle? And I couldn't catch it because I'm so slow. But uh, I was thinking to myself, "You cheeky little puke! <laughs> Make your brain cells jiggle wiggle." But he came. <laughs> it was pretty embarrassing. Getting. getting Anyway, but I am, I am like the worst runner in the world. I, although I'm quite proud of the fact that I do run, I'm actually the worst. And, and it's a miracle, a genuine miracle that I have never been run over. Because when it comes to like, I'll, I'll come to like junctions, I'll have my headphones on. And there'll be times where I'm just, I don't even look. I'll just run straight out and like there'll be a car guy beeping his horn. And I, I just, I, what I found is you can just go, oh yeah, sorry about that. Sorry, I'll just, I'll just keep going. And sometimes it's people from my own work and it's really embarrassing. But what I've found, what I've discovered is that drivers, despite what a driver will tell you, drivers really don't want to knock people over. They, they really don't. Like, if you some might sometimes be in the car and they go, oh my goodness, I should knock that guy over. I'm going to knock him over if he runs out. But the reality is this, nobody wants to do that. It's, people will swerve from cats. And, uh, and you know, that, you shouldn't even do that because you put yourself at danger and it's a silly cat. But people don't want to hit anything. And, and I've kind of discovered that. And I think I've become a little bit too comfortable in that uh, because the more familiar we are with our environment, the more refined our interaction comes with it. We, the more, the greater understanding we have with the circumstances that surround us. And see, meekness is the scale by which we understand our relationship with God. It's the scale by which we understand it. And as such, it governs the quality of our interaction. It governs that. That interaction, it's like, a, it's like a rope that leads to an anchor. And from that rope, we can swing. And we can swing around. And, and, and the more that you feed that rope out, the, the greater extent that you can travel, the more that you can go around. And, and you might endure. You might be on the end of a rope. I don't know if any of you have ever been abseiling. And, and you're on that end of the rope, and you're swinging around. And you might endure something scary, a little bit unfamiliar. And you know what? You understand something a little more about your, your circumstances. You understand a little bit more about what holds you, keeps you safe, and the, 
And the more that you allow yourself to endure these sort of slightly hairy situations to be pushed into the uncomfortable places, the greater understanding that you have of God, the greater you begin to appreciate who he is. You begin to more understand the security you have in him. Uh, and you'll trust him just to swing you out that little bit further next time. And that's how, that's how faith, faith grows as we begin to appreciate better who he is and the limits that we can push through while staying connected to him. It's that continually redefining the parameters of our relationship. And when I mean that, I don't mean we're redefining God because God is constant. But, but we are not. Our understanding of God is, is or it should be, totally just this constant progression. We understand him more. Oh, he got me through this situation. Oh, I was able to endure that circumstance. And, and in those moments, we, we get a greater appreciation of who God is. It says in Psalms 25 verse 9, it says, The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his ways. The humble he teaches his ways. And, 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 and why is it the humble he teaches his ways? Because the humble will allow themselves to be submitted to his ways by, by, by taking out all that you think you know and being about what he knows. By knowing your creator, you remain connected to your purpose and your value. It's, it's, it's funny because meekness is it's a fruit which we grow within ourselves, but it's not one that we actually share with God. Meekness is not something, God is not meek in any shape or form because there is never any situation or circumstance that God does not have total control over. So like we, we might, we, we, we look to sort of reflect uh, the love of God, the peace of God, these things, but meekness is not something because we are asked to reflect God, but not to imitate God. And, and meekness is, is actually, it is a response. It's, we reflect the degree of his control by our willingness to submit ourselves to it, the, the way that we will uh, handle our lack of control. Uh, for God to be in total control we have to be in total submission. Amen? We have to be in total submission for him to be in total control. Jesus was often described as uh, meek. And he is our sort of example, uh, a human example uh, of, of man's response to God. But Jesus wasn't, wasn't mild. He wasn't weak. He, but he gave himself over to God's plans and to his purposes. And he accepted the circumstances that he went through. And he ceded control to God. God's glory. He knew that it was about God's glory and that whatever he was going through, whatever, he, whatever circumstances he had to endure, these were ones that were ultimately going to give glory to God. And Jesus showed that, that actual meekness is not weakness. It's actually the opposite. It was the strength that resides on the inside and it is exhibited through patiently enduring. It's that fruit which is yielded over the long duration. And meekness starts by learning to take God at his word, accepting what he says over what we know. In, in Psalms 139, uh, verse 13 14, it says, For you formed my inner parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. <laughs> and that my soul knows very well. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God, God created us, and he views us so differently than we sometimes naturally see ourselves. Is that not right? That, that to be called fearfully and wonderfully made, they are not words that we would necessarily ever describe ourselves as. But, but it is vital that we, we learn to submit ourselves and apply ourselves to the words that he speaks over us. 
those words he speaks over us. It said, as I said at the very beginning, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Let us, let us, it is vile that we submit and apply those words that God has spoken over us. Because in those words, out of those words, by doing, by outworking those, that is how we form that strong identity that God has for us. An identity that is affirmed, that is only affirmed by relationship with Him. It's a strong identity. God has caused us and created us for a plan and for a purpose. And He loves us and He sees us as fearfully and wonderfully made. We are His creation. And uh, like it says in many places in the Bible, but, but you know, who is the created to question the creator? When we, when we question him, that is, that is not meekness, that is not humility, that, that's something else altogether. But the meekness is to, to hear God's words, to understand what he is saying over you and to receive it. And to hear that word it says that me, and we have to receive with meekness the implanted word. And with meekness we receive the implanted word. We have to uproot those words that are already implanted within us and replace them with his words. His words. Meekness is not being too passive to resist his word or, or, or too weak to question it. It's, it's the opposite. It's, it's rather, it is laying down our own wisdom and receiving his understanding. Receiving his wisdom above our own. It says God's ways are higher than our ways uh, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. In Isaiah 55, it says plans, he has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future in Jeremiah 29. Always being secure enough to act in the confident assurance of God's mastery. That confident assurance, knowing that in every circumstance, in every situation, whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is you don't understand, that you have a confident assurance that although I am not in control, I serve the one who is. And I have confident his mastery over my circumstances. In James 3 verse 13 it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness of wisdom. Wisdom, just like salvation, just like every other attribute. Meekness is where it all begins. Because meekness is where you lay down your own understanding. Where you lay down everything that you have up to that point believed about yourself whether you are strong, whether you are courageous, whether you are bold, whether you are fearless, whether you are triumphant, whether you can be a victor, whether you can be an overcomer. Meekness is to say, I put down that question and I allow God to answer it for me. I allow God to be the answer in every single situation. Meekness is where it all begins and that is why it is the source of our salvation. That is where it all begins because it is the point at which we lay down our own wisdom, our own understanding, and receive his instead, that we uproot what was there already, what we had spoken over ourselves, what we had heard about ourselves, and plant deeply within our core his word. Receive his word. Understand his word. Our authority. The authority that we have is born out of meekness. The authority that God has given us to speak into circumstances, to speak into situations, it all comes from meekness. Because meekness is that understanding of your relationship with Him. It is that understanding of your connection to Him. It is that understanding that whatever it is that you bring to the situation, God is what brings what is necessary to overcome in that situation. He is the one that fills you anew, that makes you abundant, that brims you. It is God that is the over and above. We just bring all that we have. Amen?
We understand that it is because of our covering we are authorized to speak into any situation. It says in Matthew 5 verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Can I get someone up on keys? I'm just going to be finishing up. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. They'll inherit the work, the earth. It says, it, it's, it's more about that we will receive it. We are going to receive what God has for us, not forcibly take it. See, the, the world has, has had times where kingdoms and nations have, have dominated particular parts, but that's always been short-lived because, because yeah, that equilibrium is always restored. There's, there's almost like a snapback. Whenever a nation pushes those boundaries, there's something that's stretching, and, and essentially it always flips back. It always returns to the way it was. But meekness negates that necessity to strive. It negates that necessity to strive. And you have this knowledge that you don't stretch for what you need. Rather, stand upon the implanted word, which is the source of all that you will ever need. It is the source of what you will ever need. All you will ever need. And meekness is that response of one who knows who they are in God and knows who God is to them and knows that God is in control even when they aren't in control, who knows that he has got a plan, a purpose, he's got a hope and a future. And, And when we come before God and we lay down everything that we've brought, everything that we have trusted in and been dependent on and relied upon and said, God, you are the one that will take me through. You're the one who will take away the, the grime and the, the, the wickedness and the, the shame and the regret and all of the things that I wish weren't in my life. They can never be taken away by anything that we can do ourselves. They'll never be taken away. They'll never be washed away by any act, by any righteousness that we might be able to sort of bring up from the inside. It is all about a relationship with Him. It is all about an understanding of who He is. Meekness is not... God is great, I am small, I am diminished, I am nothing. It is, I am great because he is greater. I am great. What God has put within me is great and has amazing purpose and has amazing destiny, not because of anything amazing about me, but because of how amazing he is. And meekness is that understanding. It is that appreciation of who God is, of who he is, and who he is to us. Who he is, what his, what his plans and his purposes would be for us. That he would send his son to die upon a cross for us. That he would send his son to love us. It says in Psalms 149 verse 4, and I'm just going to end on this. It says, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Salvation. That, that beginning, that, that relationship, that, that place where we come close to God and, and, and we allow him to minister to us. We allow him to speak into our lives. We allow him to, to talk to us about who he is and, and, and what, what his purpose within us is and what the purpose of our, our lives and our existence, what, what, what he created mankind for and, 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 and his love for us and, and, and the peace that he has for us and the liberty that he wants us to live in. Those things all come from from a, from a humble first step. From a humble first step. From a meek first step. A step, that, that moment where you gain the appreciation that God is the one that's calling you. God is the answer that you've never been able to find till now. The question that's been within you, the, 
the uncertainty that's been within you, the anxiety, the, the tension that, that has gnawed away. Meekness is the understanding, that, that light bulb going off and saying, God is God is all that will ever fill that hole in my life. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.junctionchurch.com. God bless.